Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today we've got a special treat. We have with us a picture book writer, illustrator, author, illustrator with us. And that is Susie Schaefer. Susie, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's quite the intro. Well, we're excited to have you and to find out about you. We always start with the origin story of how did all this start? Well, also for you, illustration came first, the writing came first, kind of both uh-huh. together happened at the same time. So how did everything start for you? Okay, well, let me start yes, at the beginning since it does kind of tie in to my work and the way I approach art and such. I was born in Austria, raised in the Alps, and it was a wonderful, idyllic childhood. I was an artist, I think, always Play-Doh, crayons, coloring books. And my parents always supported me. They would buy me, not the most expensive, but I always had art supplies on hand. When I was a teenager, I became an apprentice for actually my neighbor, who used to also babysit me. She had a stained glass shop, and I became an apprentice for her shop as a glass painter. And that was really great because it kind of set the foundation. It was, I would say, like folk art, Austrian, Tyrolean folk art with symbolism. And I have kept that kind of collage style to this day. And when I was in my early 20s, I came to the States. There was no other reason than just to have fun and sun and adventure. And I worked as a nanny. But during that time, I decided that I wanted to study graphic design. So I went to night school at UCI. And once I finished that, I worked in the graphic design field. So it's a very long roundabout until I get to become an illustrator in this town. Once I had kids of my own, I would read them lots of picture books, which I really enjoyed. That was just such an art form for me. I didn't have a lot of picture books growing up. It really touched me. And yeah, once they were in school, I volunteered a lot for art classes. And I had my love for art kind of reawakened. And that's where it began. Oh, wow. So you were kind of always doing something creative, but the art, specifically art, was kind of, I guess, sandwiched in between. Mm Mm-hmm. What does it mean, apprentice for stained glass painting? What does that mean? What do you think of when you think of stained glass, like church windows and little art you hang in the windows? Right. But I did the painting part. So it was a mixture of ground up glass, metals, tree sap, and turpentine. We'd mix it and then apply it with like a quill and also brushes. And then it would be fired in a kiln. And then my boss would put the leaded frames around them and we would sell them. Were most of the designs to order, or you would also create just random stuff for people to come? We had some favorites. No, we did a lot of scenes, just Tyrolean scenes, with some were more traditional folk art, and some was a little more Art Nouveau. Anything we wanted to create, we did. And then we could tell what people preferred. But it was a proper apprenticeship. I mean, I had to go to school several months out of the year to have a certificate of completion and everything. So it was, I think, three years. I worked for almost three years. Oh, wow. You were apprenticing while you were doing regular school, or you did some schooling that was specific to art or creative stuff? So the model of the apprenticeship was that I would work for 10 months out of the year, and then I would go to school for six weeks. Wow. That you did as a teenager? Yes. Was that considered something unique what you were doing, or a lot of your friends and people you knew were doing kind of something similar? Where I come from, apprenticeship was probably the more popular way to go over university, but you'd had to do an apprenticeship for everything. The educational system is a bit different in Austria, so even if you want to become a hairstylist, you have to do apprenticeship. 
Well, it makes a lot of sense. Because uh-huh. whatever you're going to learn it in school, and you learn it way more if you're actually doing it. Uh-huh. Hands on, all the way. Right. The six weeks of school, was that kind of general studies that was covered, or that was something else that was covered in those six weeks? It was mostly just glass painting and the temperatures and the kiln. And it's not without dangers, especially the stained glass part. Okay. We were in the same classroom with stained glass artists. And also they had a commercial glass program for people who would install windows. But mm. the heavy metals, they are heavy in the material. They was told, especially girls, drink a lot of milk, they would say. I don't know if that's <laughs> an old tail or not certainly don't eat don't have a bite of his sandwich while you work wow that's separate Mm -hmm. so you had to learn and they would give you some basic how to run a business but it wasn't really geared towards that it was just geared to become the best you can be at what you were studying apprenticing it makes so much sense how come Mm -hmm. how come more of us don't do that do you remember if a lot of the clients who have they were kind of local was it kind of geared towards tourists or was a mix of both So we would have some local people buying gifts or hotel owners buying stuff for their hotels. But mostly I would say it was tourists here for tourists because my apprenticeship was in a medieval town and it's very picturesque. I mean, it was built into a hill with a fortress on top. So we would have a lot of buses come through with tourists and they could watch people glass blow and they really do a good job there in the winter they have porches and it was very 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 picturesque you ever been back there no everything's exactly the same as i left it oh yeah it definitely is the same it's very much protected because it's so old and beautiful they protect it and so you have to even every paint color has to be approved and they are now finally when i was working there it was still open to traffic now it's Mostly just for pedestrians. What do you mean every paint color has to be approved because they want it to be authentic sort of or the materials that go into the colors? Yeah, they wanted it to kind of keep in the style of that era. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's what they do with a lot of the historic towns sort of. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's quite an experience to have that. Mm -hmm. Wow. So now going forward, you're looking at the picture books and you're kind of excited, I guess you could say, with the, with this form. You said you didn't have a lot of picture books growing up. Was that access or it's just because you just didn't have them sort of thing? There were not as many. Like, oh, okay. They were more what I would consider storybooks. We'd have a bunch of text and then you'd see like one illustration and then you go on have a bunch of text and one illustration. So that traditional picture book of where the text is interwoven with the pictures, I really didn't have a lot. Kind of like you have like those thick books of fairy tales, kind of. So there's like a few illustrations for oh, yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a lot of genres that really got to expand of late. You're saying mm-hmm. of late, but it's within, it's over several years that it occurred. I think the cost of printing has gone down a lot. Right. That's another good point. You think that once they invented like, oh, Gutenberg <laughs> invented the uh, type, and everyone's like, oh, that's it. There's books for everyone, but it's not. There's a lot more that goes into that. Definitely an evolution there with the whole industry. Yes. So for you, once you kind of your mind gets engaged or you get engaged with this picture book format, what steps did you take next? How did you get from, oh, this is really cool to, hey, look, I have a book. I think it was probably like it was for many, many people that I just thought, I'm just going to give it a try. But I already had the painting and the digital background because as a graphic designer, I worked on Photoshop a lot. So I didn't tell anyone, not even my husband, but I thought, oh, I'm just going to try to see. I'm going to start very, very simply. And it's always been the words and the pictures for me when I started out. So I did a little story. And Eric Carl, my superhero at the time, his art really speaks to me. 
And so I decided to try a little bit in his style, you know, the collage, because I felt it related to my original art in Austria. And I just did a book, the page count was all wrong, and I did it all digital. And I showed it to a good friend of mine who loved it, and then I showed it to my husband, who was also impressed. But of course, and my friends and my husband. So, and then I showed it to a neighbor of mine who is an author. She's like, well, that's not really my forte, picture books, but you should try to join an organization or a writer's group. They can help you out much more. So that's when I started following the SCBWI, and I joined pretty quick. And I was actually attending my first conference. It was, I think, 2013. It was the, the Fall Author Illustrated Day. I think it was called the Editor's Day at the time, and that's where I started. So that's where I know you from, SCBWI, which is Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And they helped me out so much because I was able to bring my portfolio. I created a portfolio. Actually, that was my first real portfolio, so I could have something to bring. And I thought I knew a fair amount, but boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that put me in my place. But it was extremely helpful. I learned so, so much just in that first conference that I joined. Well, that's really good. Well, would you say that part of what you had to learn, it's not about drawing specifically, but drawing for a book is different than when you're just making the stained glass or any other sort of art that you're doing? Oh, yeah. I think what I had to learn is storytelling, period. Just page turns and how to weave the text with the images and you don't want to ever repeat yourself. And just also what's current, not just what I liked, but what is the state of the industry, what stands out to me, why it works and why it doesn't. So I think that's what I got out of the SCB development more than anything. Well, is there something kind of off the top of your head? Is there something that if you're just drawing an art piece, you could do X, but in a picture book, you got to make sure, I don't know, something specific. Yes. Sequencing. So tell a sequence and then have the characters be consistent. That was hard for me. Because in a one-off, you don't have to worry about many things. But if you have uh, the same character throughout the story, that character better is consistent. That's true also for writing. Well, there you go, for all of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And just as a technical thing, when you illustrate now, do you still illustrate digitally? Do you do it, well, what do you say, manually, by hand, old style, traditionally, and then convert it over? <laughs> I have always combined the two. I call it digital collage with hand-created or photography background. I do watercolor washes, and I also use photography for texture. And then I do the assembly and some of the drawing and procreate on my iPad Pro or in Photoshop on my Wacom. Well, I guess because you worked in graphic design, it wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. Like, do you still feel like you want to have a paintbrush in your hand or you're, you're comfortable with the other art forms now? I'm comfortable with the other art forms. It's just so quick and it made me more daring because there's something to be said for both. What you learn with traditional media is you have to learn how to commit. And you really have to do it over if you overdo it or spend too much and yeah, overdo a piece of artwork. But on the other hand, you can be so much braver in digital because you can just undo it or have a copy and work on that. And there's a place for both. I do digital at this point, just too easy for me. After you went to the conference, you started building your mm -hmm. portfolio. What happened next? Mm -hmm. I kind of was like a balancing act. At first, I have to admit, I definitely focused way more on my illustration. I made a promise to myself, I'm going to be the best illustrator I can be. And I started taking online classes. SVS Learn was one of them. The Society of Visual Storytelling, I believe they're called. 
and I did some other, whatever I could come across, little one-off on YouTube, or I would do classes, yeah, online classes through different easy-to-access websites. And I learned a lot. I was frustrated a lot, too, but I could tell the more I did it. I just did it every day. I illustrated every single day. And then I started slowly getting into a little bit of social media when I would do like online Twitter challenges and stuff like that. And I would continue going to the conferences. I always would have a new picture book dummy to show. And what I started doing too was not just enter portfolio contests, but also have my portfolio critiqued. And there was definitely one critique in there. And it really changed the trajectory of my illustration because <laughs> I felt kind of lukewarm about it. I knew something wasn't quite right. And I went for my review with an art director and she said, yeah, this is good. It's okay. This could lose some work. But boy, I really like your botanicals in the background. I like all the plants you did because they were very stylized. And I'm like, okay. Didn't know what to make of it. She's like, you should really think of doing a lot of botanical work, print or patterns. And I left and I wasn't too thrilled because that's not what I wanted to do. But then I really thought about... I always need to let things percolate in my head. And I really looked, I talked to some of my friends, and then I think I got what she meant. Just kind of apply that same stylized look to everything that I do. And that's what I started working on. I completely just made doodles and started to make something out of those doodles. And that's when my first, I think, really good piece emerged. The, the one that got the attention of different agents. The one that actually ended up getting me an agent. Wow. So it was very, very helpful to listen to that art director's advice. Especially when it wasn't exactly what you wanted to hear. Did you get an agent through going to one of the conferences or you got an agent through regular querying? I got an agent through regular querying, but I had read an article on Kitlet 411 about an agent that was open to submissions. I then researched her art books that she had wrapped and the art in it. I felt it might have been a good match and I reached out to her. She got back to me and I ended up signing with a colleague in the same agency. Well, that works. As an illustrator, what do you submit to an agent? Did you have a book that you had written and illustrated done or you just sent a different links to a portfolio or what did you submit? I would send uh, the color the dummy, which is, mine were pretty complete. It's basically at least a couple of pages of close to final art and a bunch of sketches. And then the story, it's already laid out. I would send a PDF with a cover and then the layout with the page turns and everything with the art sketched. And then, yeah, like I had mentioned, a couple of pieces of final art so they could check out my vision because I think as an author illustrator they of course want you to send in illustrations whereas an author I have heard before they'd rather you not invest into hiring an illustrator that's at least in traditional publishing or try to illustrate anything yourself yeah I've heard that as well because mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. might have someone they want to pair you with and if that's not your thing yeah. then yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but my writing was still a little iffy at that time that's when I started investing into my writing time and also money. And I did, uh, Susanna Leonard Hill has an online course, Making Picture Book Magics. And I did that through her and I learned a ton. I mean, I really learned so much of what was current and how to structure a story and page turns. So that really brought my work to the next level. And uh, yeah, I've just been continuously doing those picture book dummies and some I'm not surprised nobody wanted in hindsight but I think that's true for probably most aspiring 
writers and illustrators. It's a tough thing to know that you could put so much time into something and that it might not be your thing that sells. So, Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What particular thing did you learn about writing picture books? Was it just specifically about structure or about, mm-hmm. you know, use less words? What was kind of something that you learned from this, how to write a picture book? Uh, that pretty much describes what I learned. Yes. It helped me keep focused and have a much more precise story, much clearer, because it's really easy to take a story into many, many, many different directions. And then what you had intended gets totally lost. So by having kind of like a ground rules that I could follow, it helped me become a better writer. I think it just kind of reined me in because it was all over the place. I would say it sounds the same thing as a writer, even though we're talking about, we're still talking Mm -hmm. about writing, but... It could be even for novels, all the things that you say also, you have to keep the focus of your story and all these things. It shouldn't be surprising that, of course, it should also apply to picture books. But I think Uh some people think that because picture books are for kids, maybe there's not so much like the technique or whatever might be different or you might not need as much. But I've heard that a lot of people start off with picture books because they think it's easier and they don't realize how much harder it could be because of how much less there is. You can't just have thousands of words. You you have to be so specific. Mm -hmm. I still always try to keep under the 500 word count from my manuscript and if you want to convey a certain storyline that can be very tricky yeah my first draft is always a word dump i mean it's like blah 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 (laughs) i don't even worry about anything i just want to get it out of my head on paper and then i come in the red pen a bloodbath (laughs) yeah so you have books that you've authored and illustrated and then you also have books that you've only illustrated correct that's correct Mm mm-hmm was that weird to be illustrating somebody else's words or to just feel like, hey, cool, new experience? Oh, it was so great because writing is a lot of responsibility, storytelling, and it's a lot of work. So to get handed somebody else's manuscript, it's so great. And then you hope you do the story justice and make it what it can be. I felt it was very rewarding. And I'm actually, I did two books now in between that I wrote and illustrated, but my agent is just finishing up negotiating a deal where I'm going to be the illustrator again. However much you know from this part of the process, does the author get to see some general look at your work to kind of get an idea for your artwork? But do you get anything from the author before you you start? Or is it as in as far as how much do you get direction from the author about the way you should be going with your illustrations? Or is that the editor or the art director or whomever is like, hey, we were thinking about doing it like this? Or do you even get that? Uh, yeah, usually you talk with the art director. I do know that authors would send art notes if it's something specific or there's like some joke that the manuscript doesn't reflect where what the illustration should be is the opposite of what the words are saying oh yeah but then i don't know i heard that sometimes art directors will remove the art note but then just have a discussion with the illustrator and i think it's a pretty successful way to go on about it Right. Well, I kind of laugh because I know what writers can be like, so I can only imagine. <laughs> like, <laughs> let the professionals, each one, like the professionals, let them do what they do. That's professionals for a reason in these things. For the stuff that you authored and illustrated, does that affect your approach of, okay, I know this story is going to say X, but I know I could cut out these words because I'll just draw it. Do you kind of have that in your mind as you're doing that? Very much so. When I write something, I see it in my head. I already see the illustration. Do you see it as you're writing or you kind of see it before and that's when you start writing it? Oh, it kind of evolves, it goes back and forth, but usually I see it already as an illustration, and then I can edit my writing accordingly. I don't ever want to over-explain something, but then I run into the problem of not being clear enough. That's when critique partners come in, 
or other writers or even close family members and you let them read a story and they're like, what is going on? <laughs> I right. don't understand. So then you know you have to add in some more details either in your writing or in the illustration. Well, is that kind of part of the, the writer-illustrator thing of trust the reader that they'll see the picture and know what's going on there so you don't have to explain it in the text? That's correct. Very much so. Because writers always want to well like, over-explain. Yeah. That's why I can't really, really, I can relate because you have a vision. Everybody has a vision when they create something. But I never went the other way. I only took somebody's manuscript and turned it into pictures or the pictures that were missing to make it a complete story. So I haven't done it the other way around, but I would say I would probably fall into the same trap where I would want to overexplain. <laughs> you have at least two books that you've authored and illustrated. Are there more than that right now, or right now there's the two? So there is my the first book is Susan, a yoga story for kids, and it's written by Kristen Fisher. It's about a girl who goes and learns yoga poses from animals. And then I wrote an illustrated cat ladies. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> from kind of the cat's point of view, what it's like to have four ladies to call your own and run the house, so to speak. Next I'm up is the glow show. And that's been announced already in the and publishes weekly. And so I just turned in final art. That is about a bioluminescent squid who doesn't want to share the spotlight. <laughs> and like I mentioned, we're in uh, final, well, negotiations is finished, but waiting for the contract for a book I cannot mention yet that I'm going to be the illustrator for. Wow, that's exciting. Okay, Thank Cat you. Ladies, how did you think of that? A kind of a personal story. My dad has a, or had an elderly cousin who needed help around the house, and he would go up there, help her out, and also help her feed the cat. There was a cat that had given birth in her barn. All this, by the way, was happened in Austria. And it was a semi-feral cat. And some of the young would stick around. Some didn't make it, sadly. But then some did. And so at first there was a bunch of cats and then some left. And my dad would always help out. And then poor Maridel, she was the cousin, had to go to a nursing home because she was elderly and she just couldn't live in that house anymore. But my dad would feed the cats for her every day. And Maridel has passed on now, but he still goes to the house and feeds the cat. Because oh. it's not the kind of cat you could ever bring inside because it's only ever known the outside. That's been going for many years. But somehow during that cat journey, I thought once Maridel had to go to the nursing home, I was thinking, wow, what would it be like if she could take that cat to the nursing home? <laughs> what would that cat's life be like? She would be princess up there. And that's, I named her princess. And that's how the story, that's kind of the origin of that story. Oh, that's so funny. And then the squid one, the glow show, glow show, is that what you said mm -hmm. it's called? Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. Well, how did that one happen? There's no clear story like that per se, but I always loved underwater. I I'm a certified scuba diver, and I just love all the nature shows, especially from the, the real deep, deep, uh, the midnight zone. And I loved creatures, creepy, crawly. The more creepy, crawly, the better. And I love bioluminescence. And we had that event. I think it, it comes almost every year on the Southern California coast where the bioluminescent plankton, kind of when the waves break, you can see it glow right and it was a combination of all the things and i decided i wanted to do an underwater book and that bioluminescent it's just so otherworldly it just fascinated me and yeah the story just slowly evolved with, between me sketching and writing 
just appeared one day. It might be a little bit obvious for illustrators, but as someone who has no artistic gene, when you're drawing something bioluminescent, let's say for example, so something that has to have a glow mm -hmm. to it, what color wise do you have to be thinking of so that it has like mm -hmm. a glow look to it and it's not just like a bright color? That's where digital art is a lot easier because you can have different opacity. But other than that, you could just, if you do collage, use maybe tissue paper to hint of where the glow is. And it, it doesn't have to be photorealistic. None of my art is. It's more just a representation. And that's where the symbolic quality from my stained glasses come in with those collages. It's not photorealistic. It's not. I have no interest. I, I tried some classes in that. And it's like heavy-duty math for me. Yeah. <laughs> the whole vanishing point and the perspective and the cast shadow and the form shadow. So I just usually go with something that represents the glow. So it's not 100% correct. It's more like stylized. And yeah, that's how I approached it. I mean, there's many ways to approach it, but that's what I came up with. Well, did you get excuses then to go to like 100 aquariums to see what bioluminescent squid? <laughs> Even for the cats, you just look up like mm -hmm. 100 pictures of cats just to get it in your mm -hmm. brain? I think I've seen so many of those Blue Planet and National Geographic shows. And okay. I always go for the anglerfish <laughs> that glows in the deep. We also have a fair amount of bioluminescent stuff just around us. I mean, not so many in Southern California, but I grew up with lightning bugs and glowworms and some mushrooms, I think, even glow. I, not that I've seen it, but so I think there was enough around. And then research, online research, YouTube, I found enough to keep me, I think, that curiosity entertained. And then also just one more technical thing for you personally about how long from when you decide, okay, I'm going to be writing this book, writing and illustrating a book. And once the idea actually forms about how long does it take you till you have your first or second draft, something that you'll show your agent. So, okay. I think I might have two different answers for you. Okay. My first draft is very quick. I would say, I mean, it's horrible. I just dump it. My first draft of Cat Ladies, I had in 20 minutes. Wow. And then I kind of play with illustration. Like I early on decide on the feel. And with the draft, let me go back. I did not know what voice I wanted to tell it at. It had many problems. But just the overall, usually it's just one line or something really that I, it amuses me that I put down. And that kind of sets the tone. And then I just write a story around it. They always change a lot, the stories. I mean, it's usually between talking to my agent, my critique group, and then the editor, you know, there's lots of changes. So usually it's very different from what I start out with to what ends up being published. Right. And is that uh -huh. weeks, months probably from, or yeah. it depends? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've taken up to a year, but before we send it out on submission, my agent and I. But the agent you had asked me, right, how long it takes me to show to an agent? It depends how detailed I get. I would say a couple months. See, that's also, thinking, oh, it's a picture book. It's whatever. You can just rip it out. But like, no, you can't. I think it's yeah. helpful for me. I just learned that about myself, but I'm sure it's true for most people. What I think is a grand idea today, I look at the next day, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Why did I ever think that was a good idea? And I can't write. I'm a loser. <laughs> it's over. I should just throw in the towel and quit. I'm done. You know, so you go through all the stages and then I'm a little bit not so bad the following day. And then you kind of take something bad and then you add some things and eventually it shapes into something that is feels pretty good to me. That's usable. Yes. <laughs> and then also just ask quickly, the project that you got hired for that you illustrated, how much time did you have to submit those illustrations? Maybe four months. About four months. There's different stages. At first, you just come up with maybe one illustration 
and then you turn in the sketches. And once the sketches are approved, you do. I usually like to do like a color rough, and then I do final illustration. Oh, I think a lot of people just don't have a framework for what this looks like on the back end. What's the mm-hmm, behind the mm-hmm. scenes like? Well, that's good. Very good. So, Tuesday, we always wrap up with our fill in the blank question of I really like it when, and then using one of the mm-hmm. nouns, I really like it when writers, authors, illustrators, editors, agents, publishers, books, wow, whatever, anything story related. Stories. I really like it when, and I really don't like when. How would you answer that? Fill in the blank for that. So, I'm just going to stick with the illustration part because I'm yep. familiar with it. And I think I already touched on it earlier, but I really like it when the storytelling is divvied up that it's a good balance between words and pictures. It doesn't lean one direction or the other, that it's really a good combination to make up the whole story. I guess that you'd only also know once you actually see the finished product. Yes. And what would you say for I really don't like? Using anything, any of those nouns again. Wow, that's hard because I such a personal thing. I'm going to be super boring, but I guess the opposite of that is what I really don't like. Okay. When I see something, I'm like, um, yeah, I can read that right there. That You know, there was other... You could have added maybe a little secret character for the kids to find or something, anything to spruce up. If there's really not a lot of room left for the illustrator to tell the story, then make up another little side story or something to make it interesting. So I don't really like it when I see something and then I read it or vice versa. That's fair. You're like, why did you need an illustrator? Everything's in the text. Yes. (laughs) That does make sense. Anyone who's listening, the next time they look at a picture book, look at it closely and see how things are done. Yeah, that's why it's so helpful. When I started to write picture books, I would just take books that I really love and just type up the text, not to copy at all, just to see what was necessary in that instance. And then I would look at the pictures. That's how I learned a lot of it. So. Oh, that's very good. Uh-huh. Very, very good. Yeah, because you don't really understand what the text is when you see it spread out like that. Whereas if you only see no. it all together. Mm-hmm. Right. That's um, correct. That's a good tip for people. Very good. Susie, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It was fun to speak with you. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so, so much. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring author, illustrator, Susie Schaefer. To find out more about Susie and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. Find out more about Oh My Word podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to. Please follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word podcast. Check us out at eltenabound.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. Catch you next time.